everybody. We are back. We after, are back. After a long break. It's been a very long break. What did we stop in, like, November? Yeah. Or was it before that? Uh, probably slightly before that, actually. Okay. Yeah. Because I was, well, my wedding was November 5th, so it couldn't have gone oh. too close to it. Yeah, so it would have been earlier than that. Because mm-hmm. we were a couple weeks before your wedding that we... Yeah. So a lot's changed since the last time we were sitting down recording a podcast. Yeah, actually. Like you're officially a husband now. Yes. How's yeah. that? How's that feel? Feels good. Yeah? Yeah. It's one step closer to being the old man that I <laughs> that am in my are. head. <laughs> now I just need some gray hair. Get a little bit ornerier. No rush. No rush for that. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being a part of your wedding. It was it was a really, really pleasant wedding. I mean, it was just warm, comfortable, friendly. Um, they're not all like that. Some of them can be so pretentious and so, you know, distracted by too many of the wrong things that yeah. they're not comfortable. But your whole family, everybody that was there, it was a really, really enjoyable experience. And I was glad to be a part. Yeah, well, I was happy that you were. It was, it was an honor to have you do it. Um, couldn't think of anybody else to. Couldn't think of anybody else I would have rather haven't have done that. So, yeah. well, good. especially for Allie too. So, so you're married, and we're we're now in a new studio. Yes, we're here in your first home, and you've set up this space for us to do the podcast. So that's new. Yeah, yeah, a little rudimentary, but uh, that's all right. But she'll do. Yeah, and we're we're on camera now evidently yes so now i have to pay attention to like what shirt i select for the days that we do podcast yes but only the shirts kind of like zoom i'm in shorts right now (laughs) granted i'm always in shorts (laughs) yeah i don't know that i've seen you in long pants very very every sunday every sunday yeah i guess i see yeah from time to time but we're in joggers yeah so we're back to start some more conversations of things that are of interest to to us and hopefully to an audience that listens to us and getting a little bit better, getting a little more sophisticated about it, but um, still the same spirit, same same sort of uh, ambition that we have. Let's just talk honestly and openly about some of these things that we're interested in or concerned about when it comes to our journey of faith, and we'll just take it as it comes. Yeah. The tech is getting more sophisticated. I don't necessarily know if... <laughs> if we it, are. It, yeah, if, if we are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a nice technology doesn't really do a whole lot if you don't know how to use it very well. We'll, but, we'll figure that out, too. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I'm super excited to be back. I uh, Allie's actually told me that uh, it's better whenever I have these once a week because I don't get to have, like, deeper conversation. Not that she can't do it with me, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, deeper conversations um, regularly. Yeah. So she's like, no, you you need to have that. Well, we were supposed to record a couple of weeks ago, and it got delayed for one reason or another. And she had promised that there were going to be cookies. There are right now. Sweet. Okay, that was really what I was most concerned yeah. about because yeah. I had lunch but no dessert. So maybe oh, no, she's when we get wrapped up here, we can sit and enjoy some cookies. Yeah, she should be home by then too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. But very rarely in this house is there not some type of – cookie or sweet that she's made oh nice yeah so you you married well then yeah yeah (laughs) i'll get the dad ball before i get a dad or become a dad (laughs) i doubt that yeah that's something i've vowed to never allow it happen but 
All right, I'll hold you accountable to that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My my parents just say, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it's to explain their own failure in that department. <laughs> Your parents are so sweet. Oh, absolutely. It was fun. It was through the wedding, really, that I got to know them better than I had to that point. Yeah. Your mom's just so sweet. Yeah, she's one of the, I think she's the nicest lady that I know. Yeah. I'm not just saying that because she's my mom. Right. And I, she's one of the two people that listen to our podcast. So yeah. That was a nice bone that you threw out there. Yeah. But to list to, for 23 years, to live with me and my father and not <laughs> kill us both. Right. Is a feat she's for anyone. She's a saint. Yeah. She's a saint. Yeah. And my grandpa, because he's over a lot too. But, yeah. but anyways, so for this first uh, episode back, I figured that we could talk about... Um, this series that we're currently in, right, uh, called "Be with Jesus," and um, it's not just a tag along to Sunday, but I thought that it was a really pertinent conversation um, for everyone because I think that most Christians even kind of deal with a lot of the topics covered. Um, I guess what what is the main idea of the series? Uh, what are you kind of hoping to explain or accomplish or help start a conversation about? Yeah. So in the in the bigger picture of what we're trying to cover at church in the context of the year 2023, um, we've made a renewed commitment to really figuring out what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and how do we help a church family be disciples. And um, so we spent a lot of time, the better part of a year, trying to think what kind of language could we use to describe it in a way that, you know, a whole church family could get on the same page about it. And so we ended up identifying these three aspects of discipleship or, or, or being a follower of Christ. And the first one was um, spend time with Jesus or be with Jesus, because we see that as an integral expression of Jesus and his disciples. They they went everywhere with him for a period of around three years. And um, you see him using those moments together as a way of teaching them, uh, modeling for them, and building a relationship with them. Because, I mean, he knew in advance that he would be passing the baton off to them to carry on the message of of the gospel once he left. And so we just see them spending time together. And some of it's uh, very kind of ministry-oriented. He's They're out serving in different capacities, but other times it's, it's very kind of recreational-oriented. They're just relaxing. They're just hanging out. They're resting. So that, that sort of sentiment of spending time with Jesus, we think, is a critical part of what it means to be a disciple. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, the other two aspects which we're going to explore further throughout the year is um to become like Jesus and that's really about what are his character qualities, what were his virtues, what were some of the attitudes that really um exemplified his life. And then how do we as Christ followers understand those virtues and seek to integrate them into the way that we live our life and you know he was he's the perfect human being so he was the perfect embodiment of all of the best 
character traits. We can't explore all of them, so we've we've identified five or six that we think are really critical, kind of the best expressions of who Jesus is, just as a place to start and encouraging a church family toward some of those most um, important character traits. Yeah. And then part three of what we're going to explore with our church family will be to do what Jesus did. So what were his priorities? Where did he spend his time and energy? And if we're going to truly follow him, we would be following following him in those directions. So here at the first part of the year, we're exploring this whole idea of spending time or being with Jesus. And... Um, we're going to look at it from a couple of different angles, but the first angle that I decided to pursue was this really um, pressing question for a lot of people is how in the world do you have a relationship with someone you can't see? Yeah. And you can't, you can't have a conversation with him like you and I are having a conversation. Um, you can converse with him. You can talk to him and he can talk to you, but it's not on the rhythm that we recognize this conversation. Because if I ask you a question, you would immediately respond. Yeah. We ask Jesus questions and sometimes wait for years <laughs> yeah. to hear a response. So it's not the same. And I can't just, you know, call him up and say, hey, let's go grab a burger together and catch up. So it's a very different kind of relationship. And so my observation of 35 years of pastoring is that for a person who's not a Christian, who's not, you know, familiar with the church setting, anytime you start talking about a relationship with Jesus, they just look at you cross-eyed like, okay, he he doesn't exist anymore yeah. if they believe that he was a historical character or person. So, like... Well, that's weird. You're talking about a relationship with someone who died a long time ago in their, you know, in their understanding of things. And so for the non-Christian, it sounds a lot like, and we were talking about this in the, in the services, is it sounds a lot like, you know, your imaginary friend yeah, or, you know, your pretend friend. And um, that, that makes sense when you're four and mm-hmm. you have your imaginary friend and you you know, introduce your parents to Charlie, who nobody can see. It, it makes sense when you're four. It it doesn't make sense when you're 34 and 44 and 54. So yeah. for the non-Christian, this idea of having a relationship with Jesus really sounds weird, strange, foreign, and um, like even it falls into the category of what you think about, like someone who's crazy, they hear voices, they see people, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's that strange to them. And I've always been really sensitive to that perspective, that person who's not versed in this and not familiar with it. I, I'm very sensitive to how do I talk about a relationship with Jesus with their perspective. And then it's been interesting since I started the series how many experienced Christ followers. People have been going to church literally all their life, they've made a profession of faith in Christ. I've had some really interesting conversations, and they've all had a similar trait to them. They all sort of like pull me by the arm away from everybody else because they don't want anybody else to hear what they're about to say to me. And they'll say, <laughs> and I've been going to church all my life. 
And I don't know how this relationship works. I know I'm supposed to have a relationship with Jesus, and I've made that profession of faith, and, you know, I've invited Christ into my life or accepted Jesus into my heart, all that church language of how we describe that. But they're saying, I'm 40 years into this. I don't, I don't know how I relate. To, I don't know how a relationship works. So that was really interesting to... I didn't really plan the service, uh, the series for them. Yeah. But once I got into it, I realized this is a strange conversation, no matter where you might be on the continuum of faith. Yeah. And um, so then that just released me to talk about and explore some things in a way that I really, I'm passionate about and yeah. find a lot of interest in. I, I mean, I was even going to say for myself, um, the way that at least uh, the way that a lot of people talk about what a relationship with Jesus is, is strange to me. And like I've, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, but, you know, I kind of found it on my own for the most part. My parents were Christian, but you wouldn't really, like, you wouldn't know it. So I wasn't just like told this stuff since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I found it on my own, but, but yeah, like the way that it, a lot of people talk about it, it's like, especially in student ministry, uh, or, or even kids, it's like, well, um, you're supposed to see him as like your best friend, or you're supposed to see him as like, you know, you're going out to do whatever with Jesus. And it does sound like imaginary friend stuff. And so I'm just like, well, that's, that's just strange for me to think yeah. about. Um, I just feel like, uh, it, you know, I was just thinking to myself at the idea of Jesus. Rather yes, than like, that's a good way to say. Yeah, it. yeah. Thinking of my thinking to myself at yeah the idea of Jesus. That's really really well said. Yeah, yeah. And so that was what that was what it would feel like. And so I, I think that and something that I've kind of picked up on at what you were talking about how a lot of even Christians who have been Christians for a long time and I think you knew I've talked about this is that I think it's a safe assumption that like most people in the room are kind of all equally ignorant. Like, not in a bad way, but, like, right. we all, like, just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we understand almost anything about it. Yeah. And so, um, but, yeah, it, it it's a very strange topic. Even, I mean, we get, you get into prayer and all that, but it's a very strange topic to discuss yeah. or even think about. Yeah, so my nature is I, I can be, you know, I, I thirst for honesty and authenticity. I don't like pretending. Um, and so I've been somewhat cynical, skeptical in my own faith, just because I challenge everything that mm -hmm. someone's ever told me. Mm -hmm. It's just my nature. So then what that's created in me, I have this real, what I call pragmatic faith, whereas I believe, I trust these, you know, amazing truths, but there's a part of me that goes, okay, how does it work? Yeah. And then I like to dig down inside of that from a a spiritual theological perspective, from a um philosophical perspective, from a psychological perspective. I like to dig down and go, but how does that really work that I believe this and then live my life in relationship to it? So when I got digging into the topic of a relationship with Jesus, that was my burning question was, how does it really work? Yeah. Like, how do you relate? And and here's the 
this is ultimately what we're talking about. We're talking about how does a human being relate to a divine being? Mm-hmm. If we truly understand Jesus to be God, he is a divine being. Well, that's unlike any other relationship in life. And we can we can say, well, you relate to Jesus like you do your, your wife or your husband or your best friend. Yes, there's things that we can learn as parallels to those relationships to our relationship with Jesus. But you have no other relationship in all of life that is divine and human. Yeah. So that makes it completely unique. And I guess I get, I feel a little bit of a rub when people try to make that really easy. Like, oh, it's just like a relationship with your best friend. I go, it isn't just like. So it's going to exact some things from us that are hard or um, different or I've been saying in the series it's difficult it's different and it's mysterious and you have to allow for that in the sense that he's so much different than any other he's so very different than any other relationship you have so this isn't going to be easy peasy yeah it's going to require a certain amount of mental spiritual uh, physical effort to understand it and cultivate it. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I'm similar to you in that I also kind of get rubbed the wrong way whenever I hear it, just because, like, I, it doesn't, doesn't do anything for me to try to picture the God of the universe as my best friend. Like, it, I feel like it does me harm, almost. Yeah. Like, it just makes it more complicated, because I'm like, well, no, he's, but he's not. <laughs> He's not, though. Yeah, we're actually going to talk a little bit about that this Sunday because we're talking about prayer. And so I've been thinking about, like, how do we address a conversation with God? And the truth is that throughout the Scriptures, God's presented to us, described to us in a number of different ways, and I think each of those different ways have nuances of helping us understand him. So at one at one perspective, he's he's a king. He's like the sovereign ruler of the universe. That's pretty gargantuan. Yeah. Um, and yet, at the other ways that he's described, he's our father. But our father happens to be the king of the universe. Um, another way he's described is he's a shepherd. So he has, he has this kind of responsibility of caring for and providing for and protecting. And so you take, and those are just three of, of many different ways that God's described, you, you take those three and you go, okay, what do I learn about him in each of those descriptions? Then how would I talk to him? Mm. And I don't know many... I don't know many children who don't have, you know, in a healthy home, I don't know many children in a healthy home that don't have some sort of a, just kind of an abiding respect for their parents, that they don't just, you know, they probably don't talk to their parents in the same way they might talk to their friends at school. Yeah. It's just a different level of permission. So I get it that people want Jesus to be their best friend and they want to, 
my observation at times, but maybe this is a lousy description. I, I feel like sometimes people, they flirt with Jesus. <laughs> They're just kind of playful in their language. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You're so comfortable in the relationship that you can just sort of play around with them. I've never been comfortable there. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know somebody's going to take me to Romans and go, but we were supposed to address him as Abba Father. Yeah. My father, who's the king of the universe. Yeah, there's a thousand other verses that <laughs> <Yeah>. say, <laughs> kind of in line with what you're saying, but. Yeah, exactly. So you'd look at pictures in the Old Testament of literally people falling on their faces in the presence of God. People shaking, shuddering in fear with such a profound respect that this this God could literally snuff my life out with just a word. And people will say to you there, well, that wasn't Jesus. Right. To which I will say, well, look how John reacted whenever he saw him after he rose again. Right. It's like, well, it was very similar. He fell on the face, thought he was going to die. Yeah. And you have John 1 that tells us what we know about God we learned th- through Jesus. So yeah. I just, I'm looking for, and I'm, I'll just talk to for myself here, is I'm looking for a dynamic in that relationship where, yes, I understand he's my father but I have this deep reverence for the fact that he's the king of the universe, the sustainer of all, of which I'm part. You and I were talking about this the other day at lunch, but specifically for those, I think, well, really for anybody, I think that it's probably easier for, say, somebody who is unfamiliar with Christianity or they're new to it, um, I think it would be easier for them to conceptualize relating to Jesus and God as a, a God or a king than they would like their buddy. Yeah. Yes. And I would say that's true. Yeah. Most, even the person who's not experienced at, in a kind of a Christian or church circle, they, they still have an image. Even if they don't believe in God, they have some kind of an image of what they imagine when people talk about God. Mm-hmm. And I think that image is largely some sort of large, uh, powerful sort of being. Yeah. So, yeah, Or maybe now it's the other thing, or the other way, since I think a lot of mainstream Christianity kind of talks about him as like um, the Abba, Father, best friend type of way. Yeah. But I, I, I but think, I think it, yes, what you're saying, I think, I think it definitely is easier. Or that's the first go-to. He's like, well, you think of the God, or you think of God. <laughs> I guess, and if you think about it, the place that you begin, if let's say you're far from the discussion of God, and through any number of events, you're moving toward it now, and you're starting to investigate it. He can be described as your friend. He can be described as your father. But there's this whole th- there's this whole cross thing, and this idea of sin and forgiveness and condemnation and salvation that kind of positions God in a pretty heavy, significant place. Yeah, 
Yeah, probably. So I, I would say for the beginner, the new person who's just approaching it, that's probably going to be more their impression they have. As a judge, probably. Yeah, than my buddy. Yeah. Judgmental buddy. And maybe, maybe you come to, over time, you become more comfortable and familiar with the nature of God as you grow in your faith to where you, you relax and become more casual in your understanding of him as father. Well, and that's normal too. Uh, especially like relationships with someone like, for instance, you and me, like you are older than me. You're my boss technically all the way, you know, up. And so in the beginning, it's much more like, at least for me specifically, whoever whoever's on like the lower end of the both age and authority gap, it's always going to be a little bit, yeah, more careful, right? Yeah. Um, and even for like even for people in like say our church that just you know the congregation, like my parents or my grandpa, they'll always say like, oh, the pastor. I'm like, you mean Paul? <laughs> and and I'm like, well, you know, he doesn't like being he doesn't like being referred to that way, uh, but but uh. There is this like authority does make it feel yeah odd and I'm like and so I was just actually explaining to my father my dad I'm like yeah like now me and Paul have great conversations and it's super casual but in the beginning yeah it was yeah. just getting to know someone you yeah. know I think the way I might describe it is you know I have two sons uh 27 and 22 years old and I I'm seeing our relationship change for for the good it's always been good but there was, you know, when they were five and eight and 13, there was a different dynamic. I mean, we've always been close. Uh, my youngest son is tends to be uh, very affectionate, very, you know, um, comfortable relating. And so there's always been that warmth of relationship with both of my sons. But I'm watching the dynamics of that become even more comfortable because now we're we're adults and we relate. And so we relate differently than it was when I was, I was, you know, dad and yeah. child. And so maybe that's the course of a growing relationship with, with Jesus is over time. You learn to trust him more. You, you, you are quicker to uh, be sensitive to um, his instructions or his direction. Um, so it may, Maybe that's how the relationship becomes something more familiar, more warm and comfortable. It's just with the experience of time. Yeah. You can think about it. It's like, well, people would be very nervous if they met the president, right? Right. And compared to God, the president means nothing. Right. And so, and you definitely wouldn't, you wouldn't think about the president as your buddy, and you'd be nervous and feel awkward meeting him. And so even just, and he's an he's a person on the earth. Right. Not someone who died, you know, thousands of years ago. But um, one thing that you kind of, you the way you kind of, I guess, attacked this, how do we have a relationship with someone who we can't see or sit down and talk to face-to-face, um, you talked a lot about the heart. And you said something that I really, really liked. Uh, I'll probably mess up the quote, but that the heart is not the physical heart, but the the deep, part of us, the soul, I think you kind of got around to, but 
the heart is the place whenever we're thinking about people you used examples of people who uh, that we knew loved ones that have passed or um, what was another example that historical you used? characters yeah historical characters uh, and then also online dating um, you use that as like the heart being that place where those people reside and they they reside there so that we can continually enjoy them essentially right. yeah kind of dive into that but I love that concept yeah that was that was a that was a journey for me um you know I'm exploring my own relationship with Jesus and then I have a responsibility of trying to teach my understanding of that and invite an audience into a consideration of it they may end up taking a different approach but I have a responsibility to try to describe it and that's a little bit of that pragmatic faith I dig down in and and so really when I got to thinking about it sometimes it's not so much about relationship it's about relating how do I relate to things or to people and looking at you know the fact that many of us have an experience where we've lost a loved one who was really close to us and we loved them and enjoyed them and now they're gone and you know as a pastor i i get invited into people's very personal worlds and i talk to people all the time their dad died 25 years ago and they're still telling me i think about him every day well that's a form of relating they go i think about things he said i can i can still hear his voice i can they're not hearing his voice it's just the memory of his voice um a lot of people that I've um, talked with who have lost loved ones, they've described, I go on walks in the afternoon and I'm frustrated and I'll just say, you know, mom, you know, they've lost their mom. Mom, you were so good at this and I feel like I'm messing it all up. What would you do with my girls right now? I, they're, they're annoying me. They're frustrating me. And it's in that conversation, they're not hearing their mom talk to them back. But it's in that conversation of trying to remember how their mom did stuff that they, they, they come across, they'll say, well, here's what my mom would have done. Here's what I'll do. Well, that's a relating kind of thing. They're relating to that experience with that person. So I felt like that was maybe, a, a, you know, a way that we might be able to think about the fact that Jesus isn't, physically tangibly present in the sense that you and I are sitting at this same table but is there some sort of lesson about how I relate to a person who's gone and then I was sharing the idea of you know we all many people have like a historical person that they admire that they were inspired by that they loved sort of the the story of their life. For me, that was Abraham Lincoln. So I I relate to Abraham Lincoln. I don't have conversations with him. I've never met him. I don't see him. But his story, the story of his life at times inspires me. Um, the things that he was about are uh, instructive to me. Like he was a man of character and integrity. So I think to myself, I want to be that kind of a person 
And so, again, it's a, it's a relating kind of experience. And then we talked about the online dating thing where people meet somebody who's a complete stranger, and they may go weeks or months and never literally meet them. But they're relating to them, whether that's direct messaging or whether that's through their profile or whether that's through some sort of, you know, video, FaceTime sort of conversation, but still have never met them in person. But something's happening to their heart. Yeah. They're falling in love with this person. So that's a relating thing. That's where I'm curious. And so I sort of reference those three experiences with the hope that somebody would identify with one or more of them as a way to explain how do you relate to someone you've never met like Jesus? Mm-hmm. How do you relate to someone you um, you can't have a conversation with like Jesus? How do you relate to somebody that um, you think of has lived a long time ago? How do you relate to that like Jesus? So that was a starting point. And I, I, the feedback I got that that was helpful to people. It's just, uh, again, a, a place to start. That there is this part of us that I think what the Bible describes as our heart, that we do the relating thing. And so it was there that I, I felt like that would be um, kind of a foundation around which we could talk about a relationship with Jesus as that place where we relate to people we've never met, never seen, can't talk with. Yeah. Yeah, no. I thought the, I thought it was really helpful. And regardless of, like, take all of those examples, you relate to them. I guess somebody might hear this and be like, okay, well, I'm just going to stick them, I'm going to stick Jesus into my heart and and hope that I can relate to him that way. But that's not necessarily what you're saying because what all three of those examples you used have in common is that um, you know the other person deeply or you're getting to know the other person deeply and better. And so I guess uh, knowledge plays a big, knowledge of the other person, familiarity with them plays a pretty big role here. Like with the instance of like the mom that passed away or the parent that passed away, you can't, you can't even, there's, you're not going to be able to search for how your mom would handle a certain situation if you had no prior knowledge of what your mom was like. Right. Right. Yeah. And so knowledge probably plays a, a huge yeah. role here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I relate more to Abraham Lincoln than I do Napoleon Bonaparte because I don't know much about him. Mm. I mean, I have a few frames of reference historically, but I've never delved into his life to the same degree. I don't, I don't have a knowledge of him in the way that I might of the character of Abraham Lincoln to where it, it speaks to me or it, you know, has influence in my life. But I think the real value of those three illustrations is a way of saying, okay, this is the nature of relating to somebody we can't see is that it really separates out the fact that it's pretend or imaginary because your mom's not pretend or imaginary. She existed. She just passed away 15 years ago or Abraham Lincoln Lincoln is a real, real character in time. He's not pretend he's not imaginary. The same with this person that you're getting to know online. You may not be sitting at the same table with them. You may be literally countries apart, 
but they're not pretend. They're not imaginary, and yet you're relating to them. And that mm-hmm. that was, it was all it was all an attempt to try to get people on the playing field of, yes, it's possible for a human being. There there is a place in us that relates to ideas and to people that aren't physically or tangibly present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the heart as described in the scriptures, that's that would be my best place to root all of that in how um, you know Proverbs talks about, you know, the heart being kind of the wellspring of life that it like everything flows out of your heart. Um, we talk about the impact of sin is on the heart. It's not, that's not um, some kind of heart like organ issue. Uh, that's like a, a place inside of you where sin has contaminated. Yeah. And so that's the heart. My, my, so in all my practic- pragmatic delving down into it, that was the place I arrived. It's, it's our heart where we relate to Jesus. And then that's where relationship is going to born. And, you know, I, I don't know. In the context I grew up, I grew up in a Baptist, conservative Baptist setting. That was the first phrase I learned about, you know, a relationship with you is you invite Jesus into your heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I've heard that all my life. I, uh, years later, I was, I was a young adult. I was at this church conference and, uh, this gal did this really, really powerful, like a dramatic reading or monologue. And she was, she was expressing the anxiety of this phrase, inviting Jesus into her heart. And as a child, she was like, well, how does he even fit in there? Cause for the for a child, when you hear the word heart, you think of the organ. Yeah. But the Bible uses the heart in a very different perspective. There's this, again, I don't know another way to describe it, this intangible part of us that really is the, the grid work through which we encounter all of life. And then I think, I can't remember, week three maybe of the series so far, I tried to pull that apart. Like what all happens, what all converges in this place called the heart. And that was, you know, knowledge and experience and feelings and then beliefs. That's my understanding of what I get from the scriptures about the heart is it's this confluence of these very powerful influences in our life that shape how we see yeah. life. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I've definitely heard that phrase too, the invite Jesus into your heart, and I, so much so that it's just become like one of those phrases. Right. Um, especially because I feel like a lot of people, myself included, for a long time and different times, you invite Jesus into your heart, but you don't know anything about him. Right. And so you, you're not, like, he's in there, perhaps, but like, there's nothing, you're not, you're not actually working with anything. Like, he's just, <laughs> yeah, a name a is there. Yeah, 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 a name. Yeah. Yeah. So that can make it kind of tough. And so, yeah, definitely knowing knowing about have, him. Have you ever read the screw tape letters? Mm-hmm. Uh, great read. I'm pretty sure it was in that book by Lewis that one of the interesting conversations that's happening between the characters of that book is 
not making God into an image. You know, we're instructed in the Old Testament, do not make God into an image. So then, do we create an image of Jesus when we try to imagine who it is that we're relating to? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to picture a face or I'm trying to imagine his expression. (laughs) So then that just makes it crazier of like, how do I do this without actually having a picture? Because then am I making an idol or creating an image of him? And I'm not really sure um, I'd go that far with it, but uh, there, there... uh, all I'm trying to get our folks to is this idea of it is possible to relate yeah. to somebody that we don't have t- tangible physical presence with. Speaking of seeing, or like what what comes to mind whenever you think about it, have you seen The Chosen? I have not. I've seen little excerpts of it's, it. It's years. really, really good. And Allie, my wife, and I were talking the other day. And she was like, "It's really hard for me to pray now without thinking of <laughs> Jonathan Rumi, who's the who's the guy yeah. who plays Jesus. He's a pretty good Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I work intentionally for him not to be who I see, not because I dislike him, but just because, right? You know, who's it going to be in twenty years whenever they make another one? Passion of the Christ two comes out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I feel like for a lot of people now, it's probably him. Right. That's probably what they think about. And I." Like I said, I don't know that I'd press it so hard. If if some sort of an image in somebody's mind is, you know, an anchor point for them to pursue the relationship, I'm sure that's probably more important than who you actually chose to be your picture of Jesus. You know, I, I was talking about, or I was thinking earlier, why for me it does harm to think about him as... Uh, like a friend or just something lesser than kind of how I should be relating to him. And I think it goes for the same way with how you picture him because for me, how I picture him has a direct result on my stance in, Mm. in relating to him. So it's like you actually, you asked the staff and like, for me, I try to think about the throne room of God, something very, very holy, just high. Yeah. Uh, Cause that, helps me to position myself in a in a uh, humble kind of submissive not not in a bad way submissive but in a submissive role or or place uh when relating to him which i think help helps me a lot rather than if i if i i don't want to bring my normal self to god i want to i, I want to bring my, the closest thing i can to um I guess what he deserves, but how I would also try to actually relate to him and how I actually, what I visualize affects that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you and I share similar sentiments about that. Um, I, For me, it's a posture of, you know, humility and submission. Um, it's, yes, he's my, da- he's my dad. He's my father in heaven, but... I have I have reason that I come to him with a very humble spirit because he's God and I'm not and 
I'm a sinner and he's holy. And so, yeah, I think similarly as to what you're describing, that's, that's a posture of my mind that I find helpful. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be cavalier about it. No. I certainly don't want to flirt. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to come to him. Yes. In the safety and in the, the security of him as my loving father. Mm. But I want to show the respect that he's worthy of. Especially if I've been gone for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like uh, Nathan Finocchio, this guy that I like to follow, uh, or that I like to read and listen to, he he has been going on these little... His idea is that Jesus has, for a long time in a lot of churches, and a lot of, especially American churches, that Jesus has been described as this lovesick boyfriend, kind of like you're, you're talking about flirting with Jesus, and it's yeah. like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can just all of a sudden turn around and be like, hey, I'm ready now. It's like, no, I have to go now before God right? and be like, sorry, he have been gone for a while. No, um, that's a good description. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like he's not a lovesick boyfriend. Right. Which is just... <laughs> yeah, and, and some of our worship songs play into that. Oh, yeah. Sort of sentimentality about it all. and um, I get it. I, I get it in trying to make God approachable and accessible and you know receptive and and loving. I, I get that, but it's got to be balanced with what we you know in the scriptures refer to as the fear of God. I don't even know if I get it. Like I mean, I guess I get it in that it can be helpful, but like I don't get it from like a capital C church. Uh, game plan. If I, if you're making a game plan, you could look back on the past like however many years and be like, okay, well we've been doing the wrong play, you know, and we just keep playing it. And so yeah, like I get it, but at the same time, I, I feel like it's done us some harm. Yeah, I mean, you could look back over American history. There was a huge Jesus movement at you know the late 60s early 70s and it gets you know it gets acquainted it gets associated with the hippies well there was a jesus peace movement that happened in that you you know little unique window of american history and there was a part of all of that that was really this search to make jesus you know cool to make jesus you know one of the guys to make Jesus um, um, friendly, buddy kind of thing. And then that just, and it just blossomed. And then you have, I think, I want to say like the 1990s, and you look at the church movement, there was this whole era of making church cool and accessible and so we had to have a Jesus that fit that and I don't I don't want to I don't want to put it all on the seeker targeted movement because I think at the heart of that that was just making the church accessible to lost people Mm -hmm. but some of the churches that you know were a part of that movement I think probably went overboard and made 
you know, worked really hard to make Jesus, you know, the cool friend that you can go hang out with and uh, he'll love you no matter what you do and no matter what mood you're in, you're, you know, he's, he's your friend and um, he's funny and he's entertaining. And so, that, you know, their services looked like that. As I think just some sort of a, an attempt to try to make Jesus more accessible to a culture that had questions about him. Um, again, I don't think that was the heart of the seeker-targeted church movement, but that became a way that it got portrayed yeah. in some churches. Um, so there's probably been a, an evolution of the last, you know, uh, two or three decades where there's the church is trying to make Jesus accessible as opposed to like this very formal, traditional understanding that had existed for so long when you have like high church liturgy those big formal catholic episcopalian lutheran presbyterian baptist sorts of settings um people kept wanting to you know remove all of the formality and tradition and you know just get back to the basics as a way of making jesus or the church accessible and like happens in history all the time, the pendulum swings. Yeah. And to where you get to over to a point where now you've lost the fear of God and this, you know, deep and abiding respect for the God we see in the Old Testament. I mean, he, he existed and he wasn't wrong. Jesus portrays perhaps a different aspect of him, but... It's not to discredit or diminish that. Yeah. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus in that role. He's now the judge, and you don't mess with him. He he very much has the demeanor of the God of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. And um, so, I guess going back to the primary point that we started i i like dealing in a relationship with jesus more from the idea of humility and respect rather than flirting and the lovesick boyfriend sort yeah. of thing yeah it's one of those like if you make if you take away everything that would uh divide or or i guess if you make jesus fit into every single box People just kind of stop, start forgetting or taking for granted that he's even in the box to begin with. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, you can make him super accessible, but if something's free, no one really cares that much about it. Like you don't yeah. see the things that you normally want as being free. Right. That's that's a very good perspective. I, I like how you describe that. That's what I'm here for. Exactly. That's what I, I'm here for. I, as they say here in Texas, I'm in tall cotton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So you also kind of talked about, um, just going back, so we talked about how it's important about how we actually visualize him, but then there's also um, this element of being, you talked about uh, being spiritually blind, and there's a whole bunch of verses that refer to the spiritually blind, dead, contaminated what do those mystic type phrases actually mean 
when the Bible is speaking about them. Yeah, so if we take the heart, again, not the organ, but this intangible relating part of us, I think what the Bible's demonstrating is that sin impacts the heart. Jeremiah describes it as the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Okay, so sin enters the human heart and it contaminates like a cancer. It's corrosive. And the heart that ignores or excludes God in time, that heart will become what the Bible describes hardened. It's not even sensitive anymore to right from wrong. It's completely blinded to what is right. It just, in fact, it looks at wrong as being right. Um, the Bible talks about uh, us becoming um, deaf to where now truth can't even penetrate the heart. So there's all these images of blind, contaminated, deaf, um, to describe what happens when our conscience and our soul and our heart is so clouded by sin that we we can't hear truth, we can't respond to, we can't be sensitive to right from wrong. And that's what's happening then in the culture of the first century that the apostle the apostles are writing about they're looking around and going the, the society and cultures become so corrupt with sin that um, it needs the gospel that's i mean that's really the mission of the church you got to penetrate the blindness the the deafness you you have to, the, the message of the gospel is the answer to that it opens eyes it opens ears it it sets people free. Um, that's another description of a heart that's become hard is it's enslaved. It, it's shackled to sin. It's Satan. And it's only through the power of the gospel that it can be set free, that it can be released. And so I think as touchy of a passage as it is, Romans 1, 18 through 32 is commentary on our times and i think the most telling line uh, there's two telling lines in that passage the one we looked at sunday was and god gave them over god just let them have their will and it, and all the consequences to come from it but the other line is i think and in fact i'm working in my mind i think i'm going to do a series called something about they exchanged the truth for a lie. Mm. That's a very telling statement. And so you look at culture and you look at society and you look at some of the things in the news and people are, they have adopted a lie as the truth. And they're, they're asking society to accept the lie as the truth. And anytime you drill down and give illustrations of that, that's where I get in trouble. That's where people don't like what I have to say because they think that they think it's political, but it's deeply spiritual. Um, 
and we, we, we can talk about abortion. We can talk about trust the science. We can talk about uh, transgender ideology. We could talk about you know victimology and the victim groups and and there the truth is they're lies. It's deception, and our society is saying no. You must accept this now as true. This this is progress. And I think the Bible is warning the church, don't fall for the lie. Mm. Stand for the truth as unpopular as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as as many consequences that may come for it. And we're seeing the consequences grow for people speaking the truth. You can get canceled on social media. You can get hauled before, you know, the the diversity officer at your company. Um, you can get arrested if what you've said or done is deemed as, you know, hate speech. So we see your, this shaping. You can get your children taken away from you yeah. if you refuse to go along with. Yeah, and that so it actually happens. Yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting how when I speak to those things and there's a segment of an audience that sees that as political and they see that as kind of right-wing conspiracy theory. And all I'm holding out for is, well, I have a I have a truth that I believe is God's words to us and I'm just simply trying to explain, can you not see this? happening in our society and these are just ways in which the truth is being exchanged for a lie and i'm trying to warn i'm trying to i'm trying to prepare christians on how to navigate that it's it's not it's certainly not my favorite position to be in because it brings with it a certain amount of heartache and headache but that's part of my responsibility is that when I come to those topics or I come to those passages, I have to tell the truth. I don't know. Are these those uh, people that get mad but don't actually tell you about it? You just hear it through backways? Um, both. Yeah. I just, I don't see many people coming up to you on a Sunday morning being like, I'm going to argue with you. <laughs> um, well, I had one this Sunday, so oh. <laughs> you know what? Kudos to whoever that was. Yeah, honestly, respect goes out. <laughs> Most of the time, we just have to hear it through somebody else. Yeah, I do hear it through back channels quite a bit, but um, well, what's hard about hearing it directly is is if it's between the first and the second service. I'm now going into the second service with my mind racing with. Yep. Did I answer them correctly? Did I respond to them with, you know, compassion? Did I back away from the position that I, you know, was courageously declaring uh, when I was on the platform? And so your mind's just spinning. And you go, oh, I got to do this again. So <laughs> try to find some place in your head where you can do that. I was going to say, for the, anybody who does have a problem with it, it would probably put Paul... Uh, off guard more than than you're actually worried about going and having a conversation with them about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As somebody who this probably just means that you're more wise, but than I. But I I like conflict. Like not in a I'm gonna yeah. make it or yeah, like yeah. be rude in it. But like I love to have that like thing. And I know you do too. But 
perhaps not to the same level of uh, uh, I'm ready for it anytime, anywhere kind of kind of right. seeking it out conflict. Well, way. my 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 dilemma is always the truth is hard, but you don't have to be a knucklehead about declaring it. Mm-hmm. You can. You don't have to be insensitive, and mm-hmm. you don't have to be mean, or you don't have to be rude to talk about truth, and that's that's the juggling match. Well, even saying it, yeah. You can nowadays, just say a sentence. Nowadays, just saying it can trigger people. Like literally, I mean, we use that phrase. Now we're seeing words as abusive. So. That just prank, that just puts the preacher in a very precarious position. If he's going to do his job before God, is at times he will come to hard truths that have to be said. And there will be different opinions and perspectives in the audience. And the truth of the matter is people get triggered if in how that word's used, and they get very reactive, and they're like, he was being mean, where I, I could have handed it to them on a rose, but it would have been mean because it's not what they wanted to hear. I don't know how we got there from our original discussion of um, relating to Jesus other than trying to describe the nature of how we relate to him at times. There's yeah. going to be hard things to hear. There's going to be hard things to hear. Well, and also that there's there's truths that come along with this relationship that um, are kind of some of them were kind of fundamental, and and there's not a whole lot of it, there's not a whole lot of negotiation room at the table, um, and some things are, but like yeah, um, there are some things that like if you're gonna invite Jesus into your heart, he's gonna bring some other stuff with him, and mm-hmm. and a lot of other stuff actually. You're the one that's gonna have to change, and that 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 was what I was thinking about earlier. <clears throat> Everything that you like, you just said that like, well, the, the, our heart or, or or our mind can be deceitful from time mm-hmm. to time, all the time, really. Right. That alone, like that, is kind of from what I've seen, is breaking the cardinal rule of society now. Because right now, it's well, what defines you? Well, whatever you, your yeah. innermost self says you are. Right. And how dare anyone say that that thing is deceitful or corrupt or wrong ever? That's how you can get a, away with. That's how you can make someone believe or, or understand the phrase like, "Well, it's a man trapped in a woman's body." It's like, what does that mean? Well, it's a man, but he says he's a woman, or whatever I said. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> and and so going back to yeah. where we were is, I think that's a reflection of spiritual blindness. Yes, I think that's exchanging the truth for a lie and then adopting the lie as the new truth. I I think that's the very spiritual dimension of what's happening in our culture. And I think it's dangerous and it's certainly um, not conducive to how a heart relates to Jesus. If that can, if that blindness is allowed to reign supreme, then we can't relate to Jesus because he's he's the truth. And and here's what I'm finding with some of the folks who take exception with things I say is, again, I want to be sensitive about this, but anytime the Bible speaks truth that's contrary to your social or political ideology, 
it's your social or political ideology that needs to change, not the Bible. Mm. And I think that's where we get into some of the sideways and and distant um, relationship about it all is the preacher said something. I took exception with it. Therefore, I'll leave or I'll be mad or I'll, you know, or whatever I'll I'll ding him in how I talk about it, whatever, <laughs> because it it challenged my ideology, and I'm not willing to give up my ideology in relationship to the truth of the scriptures. I was listening to this. I have a hard time even calling him this. He he's in the role of a pastor. Um, <laughs> And that's what the website says. And uh, he was talking, he was doing an interview, and I, and I kind of knew where he was coming from, but I was like, well, I need to actually listen to this guy talk other than just things that he might, you know, type or whatever. And uh, he was talking about how he wanted to create a place where people could, could come, or the, he said that he wanted to create a, a different kind of church, and that this church, a lot of the reaction he gets is, wow, so I can... I can keep my values and have religion too. And I'm thinking uh, that like that alone, I was just like, what makes you think that you should be able to keep your values? What, I guess for this guy who who calls himself a pastor, that wasn't, where are you getting that? Why is that? Why does that seem like that's something that you should be able to do or assume that you have the correct ones? Right. And, and why then should you then uh, take, uh, God's word and try to make it fit just to fit your own values. You can do that for each person that has a different value set. And then God's word means nothing. It's just, you can just mangle it to fit each person. Yeah. That's exchanging truth for lie. Yep. So he's accommodating all of the possibilities of what you can believe and how you can behave. He wants, he wants to create that. You, You can live any way you want. But Jesus is not inviting us to that. He is, he is saying in so many words, the way you are living is completely contrary to my design and to God's will. You must change. I'm here to help you. Salvation will provide the spiritual catalyst for that change to happen. It'll open your eyes, open your ears to hear the truth, and respond to it, but we are, I'm not simply here to be your buddy and allow you to live whatever way you want to live. Mm. Th- that's not the invitation of Jesus. I love Ephesians 4, where Paul's writing to the church, and he says, you lived this way. These, these were the truths and the values and the priorities that you lived by. Well, no longer... Now that you've heard the gospel, now that you've received the truth of Christ, now it's changing. Now it's adopting new values, new priorities, new habits, new lifestyles. But we live in a world that doesn't want to doesn't want to demand that somebody change. In fact, we live in a world that says you can do whatever you please down to the most absurd sorts of 
you know, lifestyles. It demands certain people change, but only if they're just saying, hey, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, I, I was thinking about it because of something I'm working through right now. Um, I was thinking, in fact, on the car, in the car over here is um, the preacher gets pinched because he's the one who's delivering the truth. So the person gets mad at the preacher mm. and never really ever stopping to think that the truth is being used by the Holy Spirit to convict. Mm. So nobody ever says, well, the Holy Spirit of God convicted me about my belief, my lifestyle. It's always the preacher was mean. Yeah. And so the preacher gets punched for the work that the Spirit of God was trying to do in that person's life. And, you know, I guess that's just part of the job that comes with the territory. Um, now, granted, granted, preachers can be jerks, and they can bring in a lot of their personal, their own personal and political ideology and insert it into their presentation of truth. Again, yeah, they can be wrong. They can be know? wrong, absolutely. But when the preacher's doing his very, very best in the most humble heart possible to say, through my study of the scriptures, using all of the right, you know, hermeneutical principles and and practices of understanding the truth, to the best of my knowledge, here's what I believe God is saying. And here's how it opposes what you're being told by your culture and society. And we are being invited to bring our life up under the transforming work of the gospel as declared in the scriptures. And he can do that with the most pure heart and sincere attempt. But if the person in the audience doesn't agree with the truth then oftentimes what happens is, well, the preacher's an idiot and he was being mean and I think he was pushing an agenda and it couldn't possibly have been the Holy Spirit of God convicting me about the fact that my current lifestyle or my current belief doesn't square with the truth of the scriptures. and So that's why you have those conversations or that's why you see people leave or these kinds of things challenges that come with being the preacher yeah yeah i was i think it was the same guy i mentioned earlier nathan finocchio he was talking about how it it could be problematic that our sermons don't offend anyone and not in the i'm gonna be offensive or like nasty yeah 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 but it could actually be problematic that no one is getting um right Bent no. out of shape. You right. Know? No, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly is, again, you're not trying to be offensive. You're not trying to be an idiot and just make people mad. But if people aren't feeling a bit of a squirm as they encounter truth, then are they hearing everything that they need to hear? And, and he, I, again... I think churches at times, well, they'll say, let's avoid those topics. Let's avoid those hard-hitting passages. Let's just find the ones that, you know, 
tell us Jesus loves us no matter who we are, how we are. Let's let's just stay on those kind of comfortable topics that aren't going to, you know, poke the bee's hive. Is that right? The beehive? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just avoid the hard stuff. Well, if you make if you make that your your um your recipe, it's possible then that a person could spend 40 years at your church and never hear all of the truth. They only get to they only have been told what they wanted to hear. And I think that's what Timothy Paul writes to Timothy about you know, there's going to come a time when people just want to hear what they want to hear, what their itching ears desire, you know. Just scratch them where they itch. It'll make them feel better. And you're avoiding the hard truths. And I don't want to do that. And kind of in a, some recent situations that I'm in, regarding some of the things that I have said in, in the recent past, I've had to do very prayerfully. I've had to go, God, what am I supposed to learn through this and what changes do I need to make? But one of my determinations was I'm not going to spend the last 10 years of my pastoral ministry walking on eggshells, afraid to say what I think needs to be said because somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. I, that, I don't, I have to answer to God for my ministry. And I don't want to get before my God someday. And he said, uh, why didn't you tell him all the truth? Well, it, it made him uncomfortable when they left the church. And I, I don't think I want to answer for that. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want to be offensive. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. But I, I do, when I encounter the conflict of truth, the exchange of truth for lie... I want to have the courage of faith to speak to it as unpopular, as uncomfortable as it might be. If you hadn't decided that, I would have spent a good portion of my time hyping you up to do so. <laughs> I, 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 like to, I like to have these podcasts because I'm obviously more fiery and less careful, which I'll learn in time. <laughs> You're still young. Still young, yeah. Now, I just... It, Whenever I have conversations with people that I disagree with, which I have a lot, a lot of my friends, like, um, to not of to not upset them, I would just have to straight up lie on a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. And uh, which would be really hard for me to do. And so I'll just say it. And of course, I'm always the bad guy. But yeah, and and so I, here's how I've been sort of processing it because I'm really trying to work through a bunch of stuff in relationship to how to speak to truth. Um, we think, well, the most loving thing to do is not to make people feel uncomfortable or, you know, not to um, push them outside of their comfort zone. When, in fact, I think if we understand the nature of what God's telling us, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to make someone really uncomfortable because they have to hear the truth. And so uh, this picture came to my mind. If if you were in your living room and you saw a rattlesnake slither its way up under up underneath your couch, and then your eight year old kid came in, wanted to sit on the couch to watch television, 
as a parent, what would be the most loving thing to do? Well, he wants to watch his favorite show. I don't want to disrupt his life, so I'll let him sit on the couch. Well, a loving parent wouldn't do that. A loving parent would go, no, don't sit on the couch. There's a rattlesnake under there. And I, th- I think we have to understand, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm a big grace and truth guy. Like I'm, That's the tension I'm trying to balance because that's the model of Jesus, grace and truth. Be gracious, tell people the truth. And you don't, you don't favor one over the other. It has to be a balance. So I'm trying to be the loving parent that says, hey, some of the things that you're messing with that your society is cramming down your throat and you're adopting, it's a rattlesnake. You have to stay away from it. It will, in fact, hurt your soul. Well, again, I, I'm wanting that to be the, the plea of the loving parent. Some people hear it as, well, you, you screamed and told me not to sit on the couch when my favorite show was about to begin, and I didn't like that. <laughs> it's just like sometimes you can't, you can't win for trying. But No. Well, it's, it's like with everything. I mean, the, it, <clears throat> that concept of sometimes you're going to have to face um, things you don't like or there's going to be conflict. There's going to be... Uh, uh, friction, everything that re- that you can grow in, whether that be working out, running, um, basketball, art, whatever it is, it's always going to, you, you will always encounter friction, and it's only pushing through that friction that you actually become, become better at it, or right. you become more proficient, or you become stronger, but, you know, you grow. Right. Even growing pain whenever you're a child. Yeah. Like right. literally everything that requires growth, something's going to uh, hurt. Maybe right. not physically, but it's going to hurt some way. And so, like, even if you know there might be people out there, it's like, well, I'm not a kid. It's like, okay, fine. Don't see yourself as a kid and see pastors as a parent, and see yourself as somebody who, okay, well, I think everybody can admit that that something's off, right? It's kind of like that. It's always been described as that like God-sized hole in your heart, right? Mm-hmm. And some people who don't believe in God would be like, well, that's not it. It's like, well, they go search for something else. Something else just becomes their God, lowercase g. But um, see it as someone who's just wanting to uh, find what's missing and what's been missing for all of humanity since the fall, essentially. Um, it's going to require some friction and some growth, just like it was like for all the followers of Jesus. Like they spent actual time with him. I'm sure it was very, very tough to go from what they were, how they were living before to how they were living whenever they were around the God of the universe. Right. We covered a lot. We also got away from the topic. No, we didn't. (laughs) Well, maybe we did. Maybe that's the joy of civil Creek conversations. That's true. That's true. Plus, Oh, boy. There were so many other paths I could go down. I've been building up so many. Uh, that's why, we, that's why we'll re- we will record another one. That's true. We just keep the conversation rolling. Um, now we just have to hope that the uh, cameras worked correctly for this. Yes, and I'll, I'll kind of be curious to see what you do with this. Yeah. I'm hoping that light just means that it's just showing <laughs> It's <there>. on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it should be recording to both, but we'll see. <laughs> 
we'll could be see. audio only for this first one until I figure it out. But Our, we may have a second <laughs> chance to do this conversation all over again and maybe leave it stay structured. on track better. It wouldn't happen. Yeah, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> all right. Well, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this too. Back. Yeah, great to be back and a very comfortable setting for you and I to just talk freely and yeah. Again, just like we started out, let's just have the conversation and we'll trust God to to use it in ways that he deems best. Yes. Yes, indeed. Also, perfect timing because Allie just got home. Your wife just got home and be perfect timing for us to end so I can have some cookies. Yep. All right. All man. right. Sounds like, a, sounds like a plan. See you, everybody. And actually, see you now. <laughs> Remember? Because I kept on saying I felt like an idiot. Anyways. All right. Bye-bye.